0: Alright, guys! Bonus episode of the Joshi Pod. Super excited to have my friend. My is it senpai? Is that can a guy be a senpai? I don't know.
1: I you're think my,
0: so. Okay, you're my senpai, my uh, podcasting guru, my buddy, my friend, my pal, my big paw on a pup. JPQ, thank you for coming back onto the Joshi Pod.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I Appreciate being here and a lot of kind words. I'll stick with friend, pal, chum. Any one of those is good.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. But no, he, uh, as I've stated before, he's one of the guys that are the main guy, really, that kind of showed me the way early on in the uh, podcasting game, and I appreciate him. And I wanted to bring him on kind of to uh, chit-chat a little bit about uh, the man himself and uh, talk about his wrestling fandom, and uh, later on we'll chat about some stardom. I've been uh, a little controversial lately about my opinions on stardom, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that. But uh, JPQ, what? Uh, let's talk about when you first started watching wrestling.
1: Yeah, so I was a I was a WCW guy back in the day. So this was probably ninety five, ninety six, somewhere in that range. It, it blurs, but it was uh, it was Ray Mysterio. Now, I had friends that watched you know WWF Superstars or you know any of those types of shows early on, and I wasn't really, it never really gravitated towards me. But once Monday Night or, uh, uh, Monday Nitro took off, and we had like the likes of Rey Mysterio and and Four Horsemen on there. It was that i kind of gravitated to that i think aesthetically it was a little bit more clear picture i think there was the, the fireworks and the pyro and uh tony shivani going nuts and it just it, it, i gravitated towards that production more than wwf to me at the time was always very smoky you know like they did the they didn't they didn't have the uh you know the um a way of clearing the air as well <laughs> as wcw did and as a kid i kind of preferred the cleaner aesthetic when I was watching it, which then led me down the WCW path.
0: So what part of the country did you grow up in?
1: So, I'm right outside Philadelphia, and I've lived there my entire life. My grandmother was a big wrestling fan um out of Baltimore, which is where I was born. but um spent most of my life outside of uh, Philadelphia. And yeah, like we you know we grew up on the ECW and the tape trading and things like that. But prior to all that, like when that was all kind of getting up and running, it was it was WCW on Mondays and, and Saturdays at six oh five.
0: What did your did you have conversations with your grandma about wrestling at all?
1: Yeah, well we actually watched um you know, Unfortunate, uh the when Owen Hart uh passed in the ring, mm-hmm. we were watching that pay per view, you know. Um that, that that was like live for us at her house. And she was just a fan. She 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 treated it like stories, you know. She um you know, she was one where to her, it, it might as well be a soap opera that's on at noon, you know, during the weekdays.
0: Yeah, my, that's what my mom was for me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> very similar, got us into, into the game. Mm-hmm. So after WCW, like, were you like a super nerd fan? I mean, I say that with the most respect because I'm a super nerd fan myself. Of course. But uh, were you like a super like, hardcore, buy the magazines, like look everything you could find, do whatever you could?
1: Not really. I was more of a closet fan um for a very long time it was uh my i got into it with my twin brother and my dad placated to it a there's lot there's two of you yeah there's another one yeah we're oh. fraternal so he looks nothing like me and he's not on the social medias or anything but uh yeah i have a twin brother a revelation here <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a breaking news <laughs> but
0: only on the joshy pod <laughs> so you are a closet
1: fan so yeah When did you come out of the closet you think in a sense um (laughs) man i probably a couple years ago like really I, i think really what it was is that i didn't really have anybody you know like you know growing up it was uh you know late 90s early 2000s like the internet was a thing but you know forums and chat boards and yeah you're on them but like you're not you know consistently trying to make a name at that age you know you're just kind of on there and you're kind of seeing what the the old scuttlebutt is right and um it was one of those things where so, I, so my my brother fell off from watching it and I, I didn't spend I didn't spend enough time harassing my parents about taking me to things. So it was just kind of like on Mondays and Thursdays at the time, you know, I would just watch Raw and Smackdown accordingly by myself, you know, and it was just one of those things where it was just like, that's what John was doing on uh, on Mondays and that's what John was doing on uh, Thursdays. And that kind of kept going until through high school and through. Uh, college my roommates were into it you know but it was just kind of like one of those things where it's like you know i had some shirts and i had a little merch and you know i had some money so i'd go to independent shows by myself and things like that and i'd meet people and create a little network but for the most part you know i was kind of like traveling by myself you know i was kind of a loner in the game for a very long time until uh, i got on wrestling twitter a couple years ago and that's really kind of where you know i I had some things to say because I haven't been able to talk to anybody about it forever. <laughs> and from there, you know, I just kind of took off.
0: I'm curious, what, what indies did you go watch?
1: So I was a big CZW guy back in the day. So when Danzig was big, uh, well, not that he's not anymore, but you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. when he was on fire for CZW, I was there a lot. Shakara um, down in uh, at the Wrestle Factory in, in Philly was another one that I would fancy a lot. And then there'd be like these random New Jersey, like up in Asbury Park, you see Ruckus, you know, and uh, or the early days of Amazing Red, you know, and people like that, you know, up and down. Then I never made it to New York, never went to New York, and never went down to Baltimore to see Ring of Honor, like down in 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 the home of uh, ROH. But you know, if Ring of Honor I would come by, I would check them out from time to time. So some pretty decent matches there. But uh, but yeah, I would. My home base was always Shikara and CZW, just because y- you were right there. You know what I mean? Like it's 40 minutes from the house. You know, you can go anytime pretty much and get a standing room only, you know, and then you're out, you find yourself outside watching people jump off warehouses and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> it's like, this is, this is something else. So, uh, those are my, those are my big ones back in the day. Did
0: your perspective on wrestling change after discovering Indies? I mean, did you watch WWF the same after seeing independent wrestling?
1: Yeah. So I always kind of looked at it and I still am this way to this day. Um, they're two completely different things. Right. Yes, there's still it's still pro wrestling. Um, uh, all these, but there's nuance and there's and there's differences and it's and it's not the same, right? Like it's like music, right? There's classical and then there's hip hop and then there's rock and roll and then there's alternative, you know, and and down, so good so goes down the list. Well, that's how I looked at wrestling. So once I started to digest different styles, it wasn't like, you know, well I. I prefer this over that, so this sucks, I'm not going to watch this anymore. It was more of like, okay, well, this is one classification of professional wrestling. This is different, right? Now, granted, you got to remember, I grew up on Southern wrestling and WCW. WWF was completely different, and then I had ECW in my backyard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like you kind of early on, you know, you'd, you'd watch USA, you'd watch TNT, and then you'd watch Public Access at 2 in the morning, and you're watching New Jack <laughs> jump off a building, you know, or are off and awning onto people, you know, you just got a different taste, acquired taste to, to all these different types of styles and, and promotions and unique selling positions of these promotions and all these things. So, you know, by the time the Indies came along, I'll tell you this, the energy is probably the most different, right? Like if you're at a Raw or you're at a pay-per-view for, for WWF, like there's this energy that's just electric in the whole You have 30, 40,000 people, you know, kind of jive in the same way. Well, at an independent show, it's more intimate, right? It's like mm-hmm. this carnal kind of, like it's it's a different. It's a there's a tremendous amount of energy, and it almost matches that of forty thousand people. But there might only be, you know, 75, 85 people at this event. But like everybody's like still focused on the same things, and everybody's kind of in it together. And it's very like shoulder. It's like going to a concert at the old TLA, uh, standing room only, where it's just like you're there to see somebody that hasn't popped off yet, and you're in on the secret. And that type of energy just, it's unparalleled in wrestling outside of the independent scene.
0: So who are some of the people you saw before they popped off? Uh, well, you, American of Dragon.
1: Famous. Well, um, American Dragon, obviously. You know, uh, Daniel uh, Brian Danielson. Um, got to see him. I got to see McGinnis, uh, Nigel McGinnis, back when he was still wrestling. Um, he, was, he was so good. He was so good. Um, Shakara had a lot of people come through um claudio uh cesaro over in wwf or wwe he was there for a while um got to see who came up who like left wwe sheldon benjamin and gable you know then when they were on the independence they not gable um sheldon benjamin and um charlie, charlie haas. haas yeah yeah when they were on the independence that was a lot of fun and and I got, i'll tell you about like like amazing red is the one that stands out You know, because it was like, here's a guy that hasn't made it yet. He was before he went to TNA. He was running the Jersey circuit. And like, you just looked at this dude and you're like, this dude's doing things that nobody's ever done before, you know, and you see that enough times. And then you see him go to TNA and kind of do what he did there. And then his career since. And it's just like, talk about a guy that changed the game, like innovated what people were doing. You know, this was a young Rey Mysterio type of caliber of of wrestler on the independency on the East Coast you know, and, and nobody can take that away from you. If you saw those matches that early in his career, it was awesome.
0: Were you like a merchandise guy, autograph guy, picture guy at all?
1: No, I can't say that I was, I wasn't much of a merch guy. I think the reason was, is because, um, I didn't know what to do with it. Like I didn't have stands, you know, I was living, I was living at home, Mm -hmm. you know, but I was never at home, you know, I was kind of like living at home, but like my brother lived closer to work. So then like, I would just stay at his house and, and I had a room at his house, but like it really wasn't mine, you know, it's just kind of like a room I was renting out for a while. And so, you know, I didn't really like if I'm going to nest, then I'm going to build up what I have around me, you know, mm-hmm. and at, for the longest time, it was kind of transient in what I was doing, whether it was like college or coming back and, you know, living in this situation where I'm kind of balanced. Like I have a room, my parents, I have a room at my brothers and just kind of wherever I decided to go that night is where I was going to be. So I never really set up roots anywhere. So then I never thought to buy any merch. So, uh,
0: a lot of us, myself included, at one point we got mo- almost as interested as much as what's going on behind the scenes as what's happening in the ring. Did you ever have that? Do you ever come to that? Uh, I don't even know if the word to use, but to the where again, like the the behind the scenes was as important as the, the in front of this and the, in the, the in front of the camera. Were you oh, ever yeah. one of those people?
1: Yes. So actually, the whole reason I got on wrestling Twitter to start was. Um, I was someone that always enjoyed, you know, not who won the title, but more importantly, why they won it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't so much of pulling back the curtain to see the inner workings and how they put a match together and things like that. Although I did, uh, I was interested in that, but it was more of like, why did the business, why did the promotion make the decision to make this guy, the guy, or make this gal, the gal, uh, what, what, what goes into, deciding to change, you know, your tag team champions after three, uh, defenses, right? What, um, is the per like what kind of gate or people looking at, um, that, that, so they can decide whether or not the, um, you know, the show was successful and then how do they divvy that up, uh, to the wrestlers in the back and what does that business model look like and how does that differ from say a WWE, if at all, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so from the the business side, You pull back that curtain I found a lot of interest in. And I feel like I had some things to say about it when I first jumped on wrestling Twitter. Um, And that's kind of like that was my foundation at the beginning. And then what I learned was that there's a lot of people out there that know more than me. And then you get to begin asking questions. And now you get to like share and learn at the same time. And then from there, it's just like that's just kind of how I've treated it since I've been on social media. And, you know, you learn a lot if you're willing to listen. You know what I mean? Like you're willing to take in a lot um but yeah like it's i would say it's more of that side but like absolutely interested it's more interesting it's more compelling to learn behind uh, what's happening behind the scenes sometimes than it is you know in front of the camera
0: do you think the hardcore i mean kind of this wrestling philosophy thing but do you think like so many people caring more about what's happening behind the scenes and what's happening in the ring has affected the popularity of, of wrestling
1: i don't know about the popularity um maybe i just think that i think you know back in the late 90s early 2000s it was lightning in a bottle. You know, mm-hmm. I just really do. I just think that for what that generation was at that time with the type of product that was being put out and the fact that there was competition because competition is good. It just culminated in you know these two companies and people watching and it just exploding. Nowadays, you know, I'll put more into streaming services and people not having cable and you know different accessibility to different wrestling um you know through all these various types uh for the reason why we don't see it as big from like the mainstream side mm-hmm. um but i would tell you that you know it, it, i don't think that the stories are as compelling like the storytelling aspect uh like why are we interested in what's happening behind the scenes It's because what's in front of the camera isn't getting it done anymore you know what i mean mm-hmm. and we live in a society of you know, we need to know or we like to think we know everything, right? (laughs) The age of information has made everybody a know-it-all. And the one thing we learned in grade school was nobody liked that kid who was a know-it-all. So you see these (laughs) little dust-ups and conflicts and things happen, you know, in all these different places, and you just kind of have to sit there and giggle because if you can't ask, you know, I didn't know that, can you help me understand that better? And, you know, then you're going to find yourself in these, like, measuring contest of I know more than you and it's like okay well here's what I know fill in the gaps for me and I'll see if it makes sense or not <laughs> were you a Meltzer or torch guy at all or anything like that so I enjoyed Meltzer a lot I still do actually um he's to me now now that I'm older now he's more of a um, uh he's more of a character of himself like he still mm-hmm. is great like don't get me wrong like he still is, in my opinion, like he's either he's one in one a with regards to the reporting that he does. I think he he gets it right a hell of a lot more than he gets it wrong. And people just shit on him for the wrong reasons. But um, but he's I think he also plays up the character a little bit. The Dave mm-hmm. Mer- Meltzer character, I think um, he plays up where back in the day, because it was just a newsletter, there was no name to the face. You know, it seemed a little bit I'm going to say legitimate. I don't really mean it that way, but it seemed a little bit more. um you know, it was less personal. It was more information driven. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wade Keller. I came into later the torch. I came into later. And but the one thing I've always liked about Wade is that he seems to be a hustler. You know, you listen to him talk and like he's one that kind of grinds out, um, you know, stories and, and he's persistent. And and I appreciate that type of hustle from uh, from people trying to get stories. What about some of the
0: modern guys do you, do you like listen to or, or read any of the modern like the John Pollock's or the Ryan Satin's, those kind of people?
1: Yeah. So uh, Satin, no. And that's really there's really no bias there. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be lying if I said I did. I like Pollock. He's over at the post, right? Yep. Yeah. I like I like him. Um, I like what they there's another guy over there, too. I enjoy as well. Their podcast is very good. I enjoy that. <laughs> Wei- um, what's that waiting waiting? Do you like waiting? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> broke <laughs> up a little bit. I was like, wait, wait what are you saying? Um, but no, I enjoy them. Um, they're good. Voices of Wrestling can be good. You know, they're a little preachy from time to time, but they got pretty decent information. And Fightful. Uh, I'll give a lot of love over to Fightful.com because uh, I know a couple of the guys over there. But, you know, again, reporting-wise, they're not going to report anything unless they have two sources. And for the most part, you know, I've seen them be wrong once or twice, and they always run the retraction, um you know they do a great job as well.
0: So how did you get involved in the, the podcast game?
1: Mm. Good question. So I was I'm full of those. I'm full yeah, of those. I know you yeah. I, I listen every week. Jeez. Every Friday on the Jewish pod. <laughs> You're asking all these great questions, all these crazy wrestlers. It's amazing. <laughs> but it <laughs> but it's true. Um and Jim Valley. shout out to Jim Valley. Um, no, I um so I was I was on wrestling Twitter and Found a nice little network of people on the New Japan Pro Wrestling side. And that was cool. And so kind of harbored, you know, talked to them a lot and things like this. And then there was this guy, Wilfred, who is back on Twitter. Welcome back, uh, Wilfred. And, you know, he kind of helped. He brought me onto his show. He invited me on, didn't really know me too well. Uh, I didn't ask, he just offered. You know, and that was that was big. That was a big confidence boost. And, you know, he trusted my opinion to be able to bring substance. And he brought me on for this <clears throat> neat little different type of podcast thing he was doing. It was like a half battle of the sexes, but it was all opinion based and it wasn't against one another. It was just two different viewing points and two different episodes, uh, men on one, uh, women on the other. And so that was really interesting. And then he brought me on a couple other times. And then from there you know, with the people that I knew, plus Wilford and his network of people, I was getting a lot of feedback to say, like, John, you should just jump into this, you know what I mean? And okay, well, I had a concept, and I knew what I liked, and I knew, <clears throat> I knew where I think I could be a little bit different. Um, but really, more than any of that, I'm a, I'm a talker, you know, I can just get on and I can go for 45 minutes solo without even thinking about it, you know, and the first couple episodes of NPA were a little rough, you know, if you go back, there's a lot of umming and ahhing and and breaks and like hardcore, like goofy editing and things like that. of just trying to make it sound professional and all this sounds type. like the Joshi pod. I know, right? <laughs> 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 but you find your swing after a while, and then, um, They're looking know. for my, yeah, right? No, you got you're <laughs> there, you got that you know, jump while you do your whole thing. You sound great. Um, you know, we did that, and then it just kind of kept going from there. And now we're almost a year and a third, year and a, almost a year and a half in, and it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun every Wednesday.
0: Tell people what no
1: particular angle is. Tell, yeah. Describe
0: your podcast, everybody.
1: Right. So it's a show about, you know, whatever I'm watching at the time, right? I like compelling wrestling. Uh, I enjoy, um, you know, checking out things that that are that can be different, you know, but then can be something that you're completely used to watching. And so every week on NPA, the goal is to talk about something in wrestling from from the week prior or a theme or a storyline. Or a promotion, or a wrestler, or a topic—anything—and um, then we just kind of grind out, you know, what's happening, and and kind of discuss either where we think it's going to head, or where did it come from, or you know what's going on. And and the nice thing is, is that every different or every week, it's something different, you know, for the most part. Some weeks we're talking stardom. We have a heavy stardom slant into into NPA, and the reason is, is because uh, I, that's the promotion I watch more than any other. Uh, which we can talk about uh later. The um, Saki Kashima Stan Sok- podcast, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, for real, it's becoming that slowly <laughs> but surely. It's becoming inside, so- and I think that's just more out of spite of everybody else. <laughs> I think it's what it's happening. Um, but yeah, it's, it's essentially becoming a Saki Kashima Stan podcast. Uh, but yeah, so but we talk about all these different things, and right now it's a lot of stardom. Um, and then you know, but like we'll talk Ice Ribbon, we'll talk WWE every once in a while. We'll talk New Japan Pro Wrestling. We'll talk Ring of Honor. We'll take it to the Independence. Defy is doing a lot of cool things over in Seattle. So a lot of that's coming up in the uh, pipeline here very soon. You know, and it's just like there's a lot of good wrestling out there that a lot of people aren't talking about because it doesn't get the clicks. It doesn't get the views. It doesn't get the downloads. But you're missing out if you're not trying to take in, you know, everything. You know, you can eat the same thing every day and feel satiated. But, man, there's there's a world of flavors out there. You know, you just got to jump in and try something new every once in a while. And that's what MPA tries to do.
0: Who are some of your friends or colleagues that you have on with you sometimes?
1: Okay, so uh, first and foremost, I'm going to go with uh, the Queen of any over at Queen's Court. Hashtag Queen and Pup Connection. Uh, Me and her drop every Wednesday as part of the Smart to Death Radio uh, network. She is, you know, one of my rider dies. You know, she's my number one, so to speak. Um, Her and I got in the game around the same time. Um, we play well off each other. We have a simulcast coming up this week and, you know, we just, we vibe very, very well. We're friends, not just on the internet, but we're friends in real life. Uh, I get along with her husband. She gets along with my wife. You know, there's a great dynamic there. Uh, we've been to a couple of shows together in New York. So I'll new Japan two, three times in the last two years. So, um, she's a lot of fun. Um, obviously Joshipod. pod. Hey, Eric, you know, you come <laughs> pretty regularly now to NPA. Uh, that, guy's, just, that guy's wonderful. I, I love everywhere. him. He's always he's always smiling when he talks. He's always in a good mood. Oh uh, hi Konnichiwa! and then we got uh, JD over at the Red Leaf Retrocast, uh, obviously, know, wrestling around the world, every Good two guy, weeks. knowledgeable guy, yeah. Very knowledgeable guy, prime minister. Um, we got Jay over in Australia from the Smack It Down Pod. He comes on to talk, Joshi. Um, as well as you know, Mr. Warren Hayes from the Mr. Warren Hayes show on YouTube. Uh, He comes on a lot to kind of help break down some of the more bigger topics like when we talk wrestling economics or we talk about Vince McMahon and his decision making. We talk about the business of WWE and the decision making. He comes on and we kind of break down a lot of that type of stuff. Uh, Man I mean you got Anthony over at Smart to Death you know gold standard. Uh, He he comes on a bunch and, and talks independent wrestling with me. I've got you know, people for GCW that come on a lot, too. It's it's a lot of fun, you know. And you know what it is? It's just fans at the end of the day that are enjoying Tiff over at the All Elite Pod. If we're talking AEW, she finds herself on a lot. Uh, talking, well, a lot of independents from her, too. You know, she watches all the independents. She's going to all those $10 shows. Uh, it's a lot of fun with her. So, yeah, it's a nice little network of people. And I'm missing people, obviously, Josh and Mags, you know, and and Conrad and, you know, Headlock Talk and all those people as well. But you know, there's it's a good community of podcasters. If you're interested in getting into wrestling podcast, there really is a, a network of people out there to help you uh, if you're just willing to you know muster up the energy to ask.
0: And I can attest to that. Okay, my favorite episode. Let's talk about my favorite episode of yours recently when mm-hmm. you had Car- Carl Fredericks on from uh, yeah. New Japan. That was pretty g- great get Crazy. you know to speak with him. But uh, talk about how that, that came about.
1: Yeah, so I got I got to throw some love towards Wilfred for that. Um, Wilfred, we him and I were doing a New Japan show um, before before he left Twitter uh, for a little while, and it was called Yamabushi Cast. And we he reached out to to Spicy Carl and called him Spicy Carl, <laughs> and it was like, hey, you're Spicy Carl, you just won the New Japan Cup, you know, you want to come on the show and talk about it, you know, give us a holler. And he responded, not only did he respond saying, yeah, I'd love to, but then he also made his name, Spicy Carl, on his Twitter for a while. Um, (laughs) Then Wilfred left. So then I hit him up and said, "Okay, well, you know, isn't really a thing right now. However, you know, you're always welcome on NPA. Well, it took him six months before he saw that. Um, And when he did, he reached back out to me. And he goes, and that was in December, he reached out to me. I guess it was three months. He reached out to me and, and marked and said, hey, man, just seeing this now, but I'm down. And I said, all right, sweet. Let's put it together. And we put it together. Super nice guy. Jumped right on, jumped right into it. Um, what I like about him is that he's he's really into, like when he was talking about working with Shibata, which just right there, it's worth its weight in gold, you know, for people that are New Japan fans. But he's talking about working with Shibata and and these quick explosive movements where, you know, it's it's not just about, learning grappling moves and and wrestling moves, but it's really understanding mixed martial arts as a whole to be able to put on a performance that's believable to the people in the ring, you know, or to people watching in ring. It's like, and and man, you think about what Shibata was with his kicks and the way he kind of sold and his camera work where he always knew where the camera was and he'd snap his head and stare at it and all these different little nuances that Shibata had. I mean he was a wrestler for a reason. It's like to know that he's imparting that not just on new, you know, potential New Japan talent in the future, but then to do it in in America stateside. It's like, how can you not be excited for the L.A. Dojo and everything they're doing over there? And he was able to get into that. And that was really exciting.
0: So do you like doing interviews or are you, are you more comfortable or you prefer just doing your own thing with with uh, your colleagues?
1: I like both, to be honest with you. Uh, interviews are a lot of fun um, because who doesn't love talking to. To professional wrestlers. I mean, who would have thought? You know, I mean, you and I talk about it all the time. Where it's like, oh my god, can you believe? Uh, you know, and it's and so it's like, if you, and if you can't get excited about it, don't do it. You know what I mean? If you're not excited about talking to a wrestler, if you've lost that, you know, luster and 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 that passion over time, don't do it because you know they're they're spending time out of their days to. Mm-hmm you know, help market themselves and your job is to market them uh, or it's to make them more marketable than they were and, and get their message and get their story out there. And if, and if you're not willing and you don't have the heart to put in the effort to prep your questions and, you know, put out a good interview with good audio, you know, you're kind of wasting their time and that's not cool. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I enjoy doing the interviews. Uh, I'm a heavy editor. I do my interviews kind of different. Um, there's a guy on C-SPAN back in the day, uh, called Brian Lamb. Brian Lamb would ask very direct questions without any follow-up. Um, he never made it about himself. Most of his questions were simple sentences that uh, you know were probably 10 to 15 words or less, right? And he prided himself on that. And he'd ask very, very awkward questions. Like, he'd bring on an author who, who would have a book. And if he would just read the author's name and then the title of the book, then he'd go, why this picture on the front? And he would just let the guy go. <laughs> And he would just and then he would just let the guy talk. So when I do interviews, I try to follow the same suit where nobody's there to listen to me. I will ask a question, then I will shut up and I will let that person answer that question until their heart's content. And only when it's done will I then follow up with another question. I'm not going to you know, jump in and, and try to add to the conversation. I'm just going to right into the next one. And I've been able to create kind of a flow and a different style with that, then I think that's a little different than other people out there. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. better. I'm just saying it's different. Um, and that's that's been rewarding when I've done it. I'm not one that hustles for interviews too, too much um, because I like to bullshit. So <laughs> uh, I find myself doing a lot of, uh, you know, freeform, um, you know, um, fireside chats, if you will. I don't you know, have the uh, skill to bullshit, so I have to get guess. <laughs> <laughs> you're better than you think you are. You
0: really are. You're very comfortable when you're on an MPA talking. <laughs> I think it's you who makes me comfortable, so that's
1: that's <laughs> probably part of it. I'll take the compliment. So, any dream guest that you, you you'd like to have on your show? Yeah, I mean Saki Kashima, number one, obviously. Um, just because the salt on everybody, you know, <laughs> once that happens, would be fantastic. If um, I ever get an in with Stardom, I'm gonna have to try to make that happen for you, dude. <laughs> please do, please do. I mean, we've met, we've talked, we've taken pictures together. You know, I gave her a sticker. You know, so it's not like she doesn't know who we are. But um yeah, I mean, that would that would be a fun one. But I think like if I'm going dream guest, just for the, I'm probably Akira Hakodu. Um, mm-hmm. Just because she's the one that not only got me into women's wrestling, but she's really the one that kind of got me into Japanese wrestling in, in general. You know, again, do you think WCW back in the day? She was the first WCW women's champion. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came out with a respirator. And she's just this badass, like fucking look to her and excuse me, this look to her. And, you know, she had a great profile and she got in the ring and then she just delivered, you know. And and back then I didn't have the luxury of going back to AJW or or any of these uh, Joshi promotions and, and seeing her work rate back then. I just had to go with what I saw in WCW and she always stood out. You know, she was over Alundra Blaze and, and Medusa uh, respectfully, um, you know, over. In a bull at the time, um, you know, and and everybody in between, like she just she just had an impact on me. And when I was capable of of getting my hands on some Japanese stuff that wasn't death matches, right? Um, like <laughs> that's I- all the
0: DVDs we could see, right? That's all the ones we
1: saw back then. Was the C four matches and the barbed wire matches? <laughs> and once I got my hands on some actual NJPW, AJPW, uh, AJW stuff. You know that's really where I kind of that's really where my love came from. And it all stemmed from her. So if I could interview her, that would be like that's number one. That's great. So
0: when did you become a fan of Stardom? You you have what hashtag watch Stardom hashtag was it Stardom fashion? What's the other hashtag
1: you have? <laughs> hashtag wrestling fashion. That's wrestling you, fashion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's, that one took off. That one's crazy. Um but now so hashtag watch stardom that was that was a funny one actually again i'll give credit to wilf wilf when we were doing the card which is this different show he started he kind of he said it once he goes he created it but i enforced it right <laughs> like i was brought on to run pretty much color for for stardom you know we were doing the show and i knew more about stardom so i would just take these segments over and just run with them uh it was really kind of the preface of what, what mpa became over time and you know, but it was always this hashtag watch Stardom thing, and then I just kind of became the hashtag watch Stardom guy. So I just kind of run with it. But um anybody, please, everybody use it. You know what I mean? Get the word out about Stardom because there are a lot of people out there that don't watch it, and it's crazy because it's the greatest women's promotion going right now, um, current day. So <clears> which most, you and I most popular, most popular, most popular. I would say most consistent too. their twenty nineteen was a pretty. We'll get into it. <laughs> we'll get into it. But um, but yeah, so. I probably started watching yeah, somewhere around 2012, 2013, right, when it's in, right in its inception. Um, I had a couple buddies over there who were working as English uh, teachers. They were sending me back some tapes and things like that. And they got on YouTube. And I want to say that was 2014. I could be wrong on that. My years are always screwy. But they got on YouTube and they had like a pay per service um, thing on YouTube. It was like the old YouTube Red or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could buy their uploads from there. And then they came out with Stardom World, and then, you know, Stardom World, and they had all the archives, which was fantastic. And then they had EO and 16 and everything that they were doing prior to that and then bef- after. And that got all, like, crazy, and that was, like, amazing wrestling. You know, and then EO leaves, Kyrie leaves, and EO leaves, and then we are where we are now, and it's a different era of Stardom than it was. But, like, I can tell you, like, from the time I started watching until present day, it's engaging, you know? It's had its bumps. It has its, you know, it, ha- it it's it wasn't it, the the roster certainly wasn't as deep as it is now but you know like you live with these these wrestlers you know the hazukis and and the momos and and you know every, everybody azumis and uh, slks coming up and and all these people natsuko right and everything that she's done since she came in and what she's doing now saki on her first run arisa's being part of the first class and then coming back Mayu and, you know, the greatness that is Mayu Iwatani, you know, Kagetsu and Tam coming in and Hana coming in with her mom, Kyoko. And it's just, you see all that kind of form and where it is now. And, you know, it's just, it's good, consistent storytelling. And they're doing 120 shows a year, you know? Um, And to have that type of consistency, now to have the depth to accompany it is huge. Uh, Couldn't always say that back in the day. Um, But the consistency in the main events, the consistency in the production, you know, it's always kind of been a standout for me and, and I've they've always been able to keep my interest.
0: I just had a thought and that's a scary notion, but I had a thought here. Do you think I'm thinking for myself right now too, do you think we like the in-ring from Joshi because they hide their backstage into politics so much that we don't get to see as much or read as much or know as much about what's going on backstage that we can accept and just like what's going on in the ring more
1: yeah i mean that's part of it i mean when you don't have you know these different layers of the onion to to pull back on you're only focused on one thing you know it's like you give me an option i want to play those options against one another so what's more interesting is it baron corbett on monday nights in my on my television screen say julia (laughs) we're gonna get there oh oh Uh, actually i have i've actually thought of Different analogies for those when we get that. So I, I came prepared. Um, but, you know, is it interesting to see King Corbin do his shtick for the 90th time on Monday Night Raw? Or is it more interesting to look behind the scenes and, and again, the accessibility that you have too, right? Because it's not just what's happening behind the scenes, but then it's also the social media, these people, their histories, where they come from, you know, their backgrounds, their interests, their hobbies. And then looking at that and say, okay, well, I want to get to know this person on a on a deeper level, right? Um, yeah, you know, like it can take you away from the in ring product, it can take you away from what you're seeing. Joshi, on the other hand, uh, especially state side, the way we are and being limited, being accessible, but li- being limited in what we're accessible to, you know, you, you can only take everything on the face value. So if the face value is good and you feel like you're getting a good bang for your buck or you're getting that satiation that you get as a wrestling fan from watching good wrestling well, then you're not going to ask a lot of questions, right? And, and Sardom certainly does benefit from that. And a lot of the wrestling promotions out there do.
0: So one of my more popular episodes, I mean, I, it, we can kind of show like what people's American people or Western people's philosophy is. One of my most popular shows was Alex Gracia talking about Kagetsu. Mm-hmm. You know, Alex Gracia is not the most popular person I've had on my podcast. You know, she I love her. She's great. She's going to be great. Yeah. But she heard just talking about Kagetsu was probably my third or fourth most popular podcast that I ever had. So yeah, I think it kind of just shows what even though we, we we don't get it, that little little tiny bit we do get, people want it. You know, people even even in Joshi.
1: Yeah. I mean I'll tell you I want it when when she came on uh on on MPA, it was I wanna know everything. You know what I mean? Like I, tell me everything. And some of it we recorded, some of it we didn't. But it was like I had more questions for her than I've had for anybody. And she's only been in the game now for 18 months, maybe two years at this point. But, you know, yeah, like the reason that people are interested in Kagetsu and and everything. And you did a great job with that interview, by the way, um, is because like you never get to hear those stories. And if you do, they're usually in Japanese. And when they get translated, they don't you know, it's not 100 percent accuracy on what's being translated. So for somebody who was there to be able to kind of give you a first hand experience it's like man as westerners we eat that up you know we want we want that because we're accustomed to having it so it's it's a it's a hole that theoretically needs to be filled right in other places but then more importantly than that it's like you know like think about the aura that that if you're a Getsu fan you know and everything that she meant you know in, in stardom and and in the Joshi scene in general through her tenure uh wrestling you know she's Yeah, she's, she's a benchmark for a lot of people that, that hope to get to her level one day, then be as consistent at it or be as consistent, um, when they get there as she has been, not to mention head trainer and, and all the other things. So for somebody who's brand new coming in to be able to kind of tell about her experiences, working underneath of her training with her, you know, and everything else, it's, it's invaluable. Right. And that's why, you know, great prep work by you for asking those types <laughs> of questions. But then more importantly, you know, it's like you got it out there to the people and, and that's, that's great.
0: Well, it's not, it's not about me. I'm just kind of talk, just talking about No, the but Jewish I'm Sheet saying like, yeah. it's
1: if it, it takes people asking and then getting it out and then promoting it for other people to gravitate towards it. You know what I mean? Like, and so by you doing that, it now allowed those fans who were, you know, in a sense like hungry or thirsty for that, to get that information. And, you know, you were able to facilitate that and that's huge
0: the Joshi promotions, what I'm experiencing and, and maybe they're right, you know, by based on what kind of what we talked about before, they're very protective. They don't want some of the companies don't want their people to be interviewed by people like you and I, right. They want to keep the narrative the way they want to have it. They want to do that. Are they right to do that? I mean, to keep the, the purity of, of kayfabe and, and wrestling that they have over there. I mean, are, are you think it's, it's good or bad for them to, to not to, to tell podcasts and other companies know that we we don't want our wrestlers to be interviewed in and, and asked open questions without, you know, limitations. I guess it
1: depends. Um, I'll tell you that on, on the surface, why wouldn't you want, you know, your, your wrestlers to go on to, to American podcast or any podcast, it mean, doesn't matter where you are. Uh, but go on to independent podcasts and tell their story. Um, get a little intrigue for the promotion Maybe you know increase your subs to your streaming service or Nico Nico Pro or whatever. Uh, it, it seems like it's a win-win on both sides. You know the other side of it is a lot of these companies, you know they they might not be working, you know with a big profit margin and they're growing. There there is a thing, you know there there is something to said for growing pains. So you get too popular too fast and you can't accommodate. You know, the accessibility side or, or the distribution of your product, even through streaming services, you know, to uh, a, an audience that is looking for it. And now, you know, and and now you've created a market that you can't get into, that you can't tap and, and that can cause some issues. Right. Or mm-hmm. you don't have the technology, or you don't have the infrastructure within the business to be able to grow, to meet the demands of of the consumers, you know, and, and so by keeping kind of a little in things until you're you build enough capital to be able to do that could be part of the motivation. I can't say that for certain, Um, it could just be a cultural thing, you know, Mm. where they sit there and they say, you know, like we keep everything uh, closed door, hands off, and this is our thing. And unless you're, you know, either part of the culture or part of the company, you know, you're not going to have access to this because the more people that have access to this, uh, the more we can't control the narrative. And the narrative right now is more important than the interview, right, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It's frustrating. It is to me sometimes when, when I get doors closed on me, I mean, I understand, I get it, you know, I I don't disagree with them, but uh, you know, so I, I kind of, I see both sides that, Hey, I want to talk to everybody and you want to talk to everybody, but it's just, it's just maybe it doesn't make sense for them. Like you said, to, to do that.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And, and, but I'm, but I'm with you in the sense that like one, the way they handle their business needs to be in a professional manner. You know, when I reach out or when you reach out or, or anybody reaches out to these promotions, especially when you reach out to the promotions themselves, asking about, um, you know, a little talent interview share thing going on, you know, we reach, we reach out with the utmost respect, mm-hmm. you know, and we say, you know, we use our, you know, misters and misses and salutations <laughs> and, and our proper grammar and our complete sentences. And, And all that type of stuff. And and we try to be as professional as possible so that they know that we're taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you're met with either a little bit of informality or um, a little bit of either brevity or curtness, it does rub you a little wrong. Because it's like, hey, I'm just trying to help you, you know, and there's that side of it as well. Or I don't know if these these promotions respect, you know, uh, us to the level that we do them. Which hey, I'm not saying that they need to. I'm just saying like it does. It does rub you a little raw every once in a while, which you know it, I think is fair. So you're not making a million dollars every week on your podcast? <sighs> yeah, I've I'm, come I'm close a couple times. I really had no. That's <laughs> for-profit <laughs> podcasting really isn't my bag right yeah. now.
0: <laughs> so that that's mine too. You know, we we I don't have not made a penny off my podcast and in mm-hmm. you know in. I've spent way more on my podcast than I'll ever, ever make it. I think to this point, you know, but right. it, it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I guess getting them to understand maybe that this is a, a, a passion project for guys like us. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, maybe it's hard to translate to them. They don't, they don't get it if we're doing it for free. Why are we doing it? Maybe, like you said, maybe it's a cultural thing.
1: It could be. I mean, I haven't been over there, so I don't want to speculate either way. Uh, but I've been told a couple times by a couple different promotions. Um, you know, that, uh, getting your foot in the door is going to be difficult, you know, so keep at it, but don't expect, you know, and I was like, okay, well, what's the timeline, you know, and they're like years, you know, you just got to keep knocking on the door. And I'm just like, okay, well, we'll <laughs> see. Uh, but, you know, but again, I, I've fallen into a couple fortunate positions to where I was talking to people. Pro- I probably shouldn't have been talking to uh, that I thought maybe wasn't an in and they were just like, oh no, you're a cool guy. Like we can, we can chat, but this door is way closed and I'm just like, Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate the transparency.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about the current, the current state of let's talk just stardom. Let's not talk about anybody else. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk stardom. You and I, you're, Mark. you're Mr. Watch stardom. So let's, uh, right. Hashtag watch stardom. Let's, uh, let's talk about stardom. What do you think about the, uh, current product, uh, up to the, uh, the pause button that got hit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think they had a lot of momentum they, they had a lot of stories in place. Um Where I think a lot of their issues that they have, and issues probably too strong. I think a lot of their question marks with regards to their storylines are all injury related. Number one, I think a lot of it stems back uh, to the five star last year. Um, But I think overall, not just from the depth that I mentioned before, you know, complete rosters on the mains, uh, you know, every faction is covered and they do a great job with it. Um, and the consistency in the 120 show, you go back and you watch 2019 as a whole. And I'd be hard pressed to say that there's like one bad show on there. Like there's some shows that aren't that like aren't as good as other shows. Sure. You know, there's some fun shows and filler shows and weekend Sunday afternoon shows and things like that. But you you go back and you watch and it's good, consistent wrestling day in, day out from this entire roster. And it's amazing. And then you get hurt. Then you lose Kagetsu and you lose Hazuki at the end. And it's like, oof. That's a stinger, right? Because you had your next up-and-comer in Oedotai, your heir apparent, and then you had your leader of Tai and your head trainer both balance at the end of the year. Okay. Um, and I get that it wasn't exactly the end of the year, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so you lose them. You lose Utami during the five-star. You lose Jungle during the five-star. Uh, so now you have Konami and and Hana. Um, you know, Konami, all, all tournaments, finding yourself another final. And everything that's happening there. Uh, your five star champion doesn't go on to win the title, and Hanum was really hot at the time, and so you can make the case there. But then they bring in Julia, and they brought her in in a confusing way, controversial way, but a confusing way. Um, and so then there's your program leading into year end, you know. And now we, how are you going to get the title off B? And then you decide to put it on Mayu, which is a great decision. Now that you got the Bushi Road acquisition that happens, and so there's a, this tremendous amount of momentum, right? For for stardom going into uh, 2020. And I think they were succeeding at the beginning of it. We had a nice hill turn from Saki Kashima um, that put her in a position to join Oedo Tai. We were able to thin out stars, which I think was big. Uh, we had a new faction in Donna Del Mondo uh, fortify over the course of the first two months of the year. And, you know, we saw um, B leave Queen's Quest and and join Oedo Tai as well to kind of help strengthen up Uh, you know, uh, the ranks there. And so I think we had some good positioning uh, of some enough changes to make it feel different, but nothing too drastic to where it took you away from the five factions that they now had. And then coronavirus happened, right? (laughs) And then everything just shuts down. Um, And then you learn Arisa's probably injured, right? And that she might not come back. And I don't want to speculate on that because nobody's actually directly come out and said that, but man, it's looking that way. It really is. It's, I, I can't. I don't know if it's sickness, injury, off. illness, whatever. I don't know what it is. You know, yeah, she's just hasn't been around. She's not on the Zoom calls. She's not being marketed through stardom. really not too much. Uh, she's doing a lot of stuff with her band, so she's out and about, like she's doing things. Um, is it possible she's just not happy with stardom? No, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it because she's being pushed to the moon right now. I mean, you and I were talking about it, remember in the the review show for mm-hmm. uh, how like. It was one in one A. She was positioned like nobody was going to touch her. You know what I mean? Like she could go all the way to 2020 um, or December 2020 with the white belt and and win the red belt. You know what I mean? Like we saw a pathway where that could happen. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's no information on it either. So it's this could all just be like her. like they're out. Just, yeah, do your band thing because you're going full throttle when you come back. It could be that easy. Mm -hmm. You know, it could go either way. But uh, I don't know. I got a bad feeling about it um saki kashima's momentum just completely derailed you know she has that great heel turn and that was executed very well mind you um on on mayu then she gets the main event of the no people game which just adds to the trolls out there like jd saying the only <laughs> time she's going to main event is when nobody's in the building uh just because, prove, just prove she can't draw right Just prove she can't draw <laughs> and so that's, you know, disheartening as hell. And, but she goes out there and puts on a fine match. But now she finds herself, like, she's still ranked, you know. Should she should she have won? Yeah, she should have won. She should have found a cheekish way to win because that's what a way to tie does. I, I agree. I think she should have won as well. She should have won. Like, it's crazy. that, And I'm so surprised she didn't because, one, like, it took all the power out of me talking. Uh, <laughs> but, two, man, like, are you talking, if she would have beat Mayu prior to, like, right when COVID happened, it's like the type of chatter that I would have on my side against the <laughs> likes of Jay and JD and yourself and everybody else out there uh, would be fantastic. It would been great. It would be a great six weeks, all things considered. Right. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I think they're doing well. Um, obviously they're leading the pack. The Bushy road things there. I think the Bush, the interesting thing about the Bushy road thing is that you're starting to see that a lot of their decision-making isn't their decision-making anymore. And this might be the first real time. Now, granted, you know, unprecedented circumstances, but we're starting to see that, you know, as, as much as I'd like to put a lot of these decisions that they're making on Rossi, I don't think it is. I think it's Bushy Road sitting there saying, you're not doing this, or we're going to pull back on this, or we're going to hold back on this because, you know, we now own you. And we're starting to see that. And I think that's, that it certainly is a different vibe than last year when it was strictly owned by Rossi. So, I am adamantly
0: against Julia's push to the top right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, un, I don't think she is talented enough to be where she's at. I compared her to Baron Corbin on Twitter, yep. which some people agreed with. Some people didn't agree with. Right. So what what do you think about the push for somebody like her, who's an outsider, who's not as gifted in ring I I don't even know if she has the the charisma of some other people as well, you know, in in the company. Just her push and what it it means to, like, the future of of stardom.
1: Yeah, so correlating what Julia is in the future of stardom, I don't know if I can do that. Um, Because I don't see a correlation between the two. I see her as an asset. I see her as a hot commodity. I see her as somebody that can um, go in there and, and print some money, right, and be a star, and she's got star power. Um, she's got she's got money behind her. And you have money, they're going to put you in a position to succeed. I also think that they're leading into the controversy. You know, her coming over, you know, and then the way it happened, you know, yeah, it probably wasn't the best business practices by Rossi, but now Bushi Road owns that. And now they got to kind of have to figure out a way to make that work for him. Okay, well this is the way you do it, right? And you kind of lean into her a little bit. You make her a faction leader. You put her in a program with Hannah. You put some muscle behind her so that she doesn't have to be the one that carries the wrestling acumen of of the of the group, you know, and and she can just kind of be the figurehead and now you push her to the top, right? It's a lot like it, I so you you said she's Baron Corbin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always said she was Thugonomics John Cena. You know, and like you got to remember that John Cena, that Mm -hmm. that it was right after the the aggression, uh, ruthless aggression, John Cena, where he almost got fired and then he became the heel thugonomics, not before he got over, but that beginning where he was getting booed everywhere and he's doing he's wearing the, you know, the opposite, uh, the the rival jersey of, of whatever town he's in. And he's going out there and doing the shmormy type of raps that are really bad at the beginning. And. And all that type of stuff, and but so he was, but but his wrestling was garbage, right? But mm-hmm. slowly but surely, every week he was out there, people were starting to like him a little bit more, and people were buying into his disses, which were ridiculous, by the way. Uh, <laughs> they were buying into that a little bit more, and and just gradually and organically over time, you know, he was built into something bigger than he was. That ultimately culminated at WrestleMania, where he won his first U.S. title against Big Show, and and then he you know blast off from there. I see the same in Julia. I think Julia right now is a figurehead of a very dominant faction in which where she is more of the rough and tumble, you know, likes to do a lot of things outside of the ring because in the ring, she's a little bit compromised by having someone like Micah who can just kind of bury somebody with with submissions and kicks and strikes. And then you have Shuri, who really is your worker of that group, um, be able to come in there and kind of put in the time. Right. She's like the Utami, if you will. She kind of comes ha- in. Hashtag
0: puts- Joshi wrestling dance
1: off. (laughs) hashtag
0: Shuri Shuri smile
1: that's right it's true though She is killing it on that side um it's her and slk all day um (laughs) but yes she's got that type of vibe to her and the thing i think that hurt her the most with somebody like you is they went away for a while and now she's she hasn't been able to have enough time to kind of build the type of character she's going to be she's only been wrestling for like You can count it as like two years now. I mean, I think she was a year in when she was an ice ribbon Um, and then she came over. So I I can't imagine if she's hit the two year mark, she she just hit it or like she did a year somewhere and then came in anyway, no more than three years. Uh, And she's in there with people that have been wrestling for five, six, seven, eight years. You know, she's not as technically inclined. Um, She doesn't work the crowd very well. You know, she's a bruiser. She's a brawler. She goes in there and she's intense. Um, it works when you're with Hana. It doesn't work when you're with Jungle, right? She's not big enough. She's not stoutly enough for, for that type of dynamic to work. So you need the help of everybody else. If she can, if she, if her character can come along, and that's what I was waiting for, is her character going to evolve now that Donna Monte, now that she won Cinderella and that we're going to move forward, time will tell. But because we're kind of left with this uh, incomplete character, and we know she has the Cinderella. And we know that if if all this, you know, stuff with Arisa might happen, that she just wins the white belt. Well, it's not going to be as compelling because we're not invested in her yet. And she really needs, to your point, she needs to be able to get us invested as fans into her as a person, as a personality, and her character, and really define who her character is. And then I think you'll get off her back. Until then, though, like... I don't know if I'd say Baron Corbin, because Baron Corbin knows exactly who he is, right? And he's a swarmy prick on purpose. But, you know, she's incomplete. And she's pretty high up there. And if that rubs you the wrong way, yeah, I could understand that.
0: Yeah, in your comparison to Cena, I mean, you talked about it being organic. And over time, this wasn't organic. This wasn't over that much time. I mean, she wasn't. She wrestled in the Tokyo Dome this year for Star <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, but that was a showcase. You can't hold that against her. That's like, it's like Tam and my, Mo- well, it's like but Tam it kind of Mo- tells, but it kind
0: of tells me, you know, if, if the other people you have on your roster that you're willing to put her out there as your representative, of your company, you're, it tells me uh work rate companies getting away from being a work rate company.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I could see that, but I, I don't know if you can put one match, one dark match on, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a huge deal. Right, they they won a dark match at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, in the Tokyo Dome. But I don't know if you can sit there and say one match with one big signing, mind you, um, w- with a new company. You know, uh, it, it defines what they are going to be moving forward. Uh, I think it's that they see a, a tremendous amount of money in her, and they put her in there with with good workers to help elevate her. Um, now, with that said, I did, I haven't. No, actually, I, no. I have seen that match. I have seen that match now. Um, I don't know if I can take one match and say, "Well, this is what they're going to be now moving forward." They could prove me wrong, and you and I could be sitting here six months from now, and we could say that this is hackneyed, you know, BS, and you know, they're <laughs> only pushing the pretty people and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm that's all a good about segue. Having, that's a good segue. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm all about having that conversation. It was just we're not. I don't know if we're there yet. I, I can't sit here and say with all the good faith in 2019 that they're going to work away from their work rate uh, workers as much in 2020.
0: So another observation I made on your show was that stardom, I feel, is becoming a bit WWE-ish, where wow. a lot of their people are looking a little cookie cutter. Uh, a lot of the same pretty, thin uh, women who are a certain, you know, they're they're glamming them up. They're trying to pretty them up to be um, beauty queens as well as wrestlers. Kind of how the WWE almost has, I mean, Otis is the outlier, I guess, right now. But, <laughs> but generally, in speaking, I mean, it, it's a certain look for the guys. The Randy Ortons, you know, for for a while, they they had those guys that looked a certain way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, again, you've watched Stardom pretty consistently over the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they, they've kind of, I think they've kind of fallen into that. I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that they're that they all look alike. Um, I would agree that there's no dump, you know, like you would have an AJW back in the day or any, like, Hamuko right nowadays. Um, but yeah, they don't have one. Of I don't those. know if Hokuto would be on there. No, I don't think, no, 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 she wouldn't. But but you had Mary Apache there at the back end of 2018, you know, and she was there for a pretty, you know, decent amount of time. Um, and then she's just been busy in Mexico and, but you know, she's still referenced a lot by Hannah. Um, you know, Jamie's coming along, you know, and she's working on, like being that next Joshi giant, you know, and she's looks like she's taking pride and and being that forceful uh, presence for for them. Um, and I think they have a lot of different but styles. She, she's slimming down. She's getting more glamorous as well, though. I think she plays a lot into the beauty side, but I mean, I'll tell you that she's. She, I don't even know if she's been slimming down. She's, you know, she's and it's toning, a good, it's up. a good thickness. It's a good thickness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you know, she's she's wider. But then she was at the beginning of 2019 by like almost half, you know, Mm -hmm. and again, I mean that in all due respect. It's not a, oh, she's huge. It's not. No, no, Like she's physically putting on muscle. She's physically getting bigger. You know what I mean? Like and she's like she's becoming that type of wrestler. Um, You know, but I'm not disagreeing with you. They definitely have more of a they're not TJPW by any stand, you know, any stretch, but they definitely have a, a, a certain aesthetic. (laughs) <laughs> a general aesthetic of the roster that they're going for. I don't necessarily think that that means they all look the same. Um, I think that you know, like uh, Utami isn't, you know, um, you know, she's not winning any beauty contests. Momo's not winning any beauty contests. And I, again, I say that with regards to like that idol vibe that you get from TJPW. You know what I mean? Where it's almost like porcelain doll kind of look to them. You know, it's like they're not they're not really playing into that. Yeah, they, you get the beauty makeup, you get the eyeshadow underneath. You know, they're doing a nice job with the highlights and the hair to kind of really pop when it's important. They're changing the outfits to, to streamline them, to mainstream them a little bit. But oh, really, overall, you know, this is a lot of stuff that Queen's Quest is doing is a lot of stuff that they were doing with EO in 2016. They just have more people they can do it with now. And I think the roster depth is really playing into that. You know, you need these attractions when you don't have the talent. You know, and when you have the talent, you don't need to to go out there and find the dump Matsumoto's of the world, and I mean that with all due respect, to dump because I love her. She's like one of my favorite people to watch back in AJW. But I think that's part of it. I would tell you, it's it's a cop out, Eric. It's a cop out to say that they're WWA. Um you wanna say you wanna sell me on the fact that they're Ring of Honor? Back when Ring of Honor was good? Okay. I would be more inclined to listen to that because I just don't think that Joji is so niche as it is that if you are the top of the niche, you can't just equate that to WWE. I mean, if that's the case, then, you know, uh, AEW is the WWE of the independence, right? And, and, uh, progress is the, well, I mean, they technically really are <laughs> the, the, the before, before they were bought out. They were the WWE of the, of the UK scene, right? And WXW is the WWE of the, like, I think it's too easy to say that. Well, they're the WWE, right? Um, if you want to say Bushi Rose is WWE, I'm, I'm inclined to listen to that argument for sure. But I think Stardom as a whole itself, I think they're more of a ring of honor, right? Like they are, you know, top of their niche, right? Uh, and they got a little bit of backing and they have a little bit of financial support. So things that they don't have to worry about that other Joshi promotions have to worry about right now specifically, but in general, they don't have to worry about. So, you know, they're a little bit more carefree and a little bit more relaxed. They're not, you could say that, they, you could fear that they're becoming a little complacent in their business model because they know that they can just kind of turn the engine on, turn the key on when they come out of back into live shows and pick up where they left off. Where a lot of all these other places need to do some, um, you know, do some some money generating through YouTube channels and live wrestling events and streaming services and all this other stuff. Okay, well, Stardom's already got that infrastructure set up. And now they have backing with Bushi Road, so they can just kind of sit on their laurels while everybody else is kind of hustling. Um, if you want to make that argument, sure, I'm, I'm willing to listen. But I also have the 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 pull, yanking Julia
0: from Ice Ribbon. I think is a WWE ish tactic. Sure, you know it was a little not not up and up, not how the the business is done. You know they're they're very Vince McMahon ish. You know like hey, we're gonna take your top stars and and see if you can survive or not. You know. Um, that that's what I'm I'm worrying that it's becoming that that they're gonna not hold to traditions of wrestling and uh, it could be the the end of the Indies you know for for the smaller Joshi promotions.
1: Yeah, that's a possibility. And look, I'm not gonna sit here and say that Rossi uh, doesn't have questionable business um, motivations. You know, <laughs> his track record isn't the greatest. Uh, with the way he's screwed over talent in the past, and and his just general demeanor, like he does some cool things, and then he does some really shitty things, um, you know, it's the reason that him and Aja don't work together anymore. But so again, if that if you want to if you want to bring that piece in and say, well, that's very WWE esque, I'm willing to compromise and say that okay, I'll give you that one. Um, but then you have to ask yourself because that really happened underneath Rossi's ownership, not Bushi Rhodes. So can you really hold it against? the Bushi Road stardom, the way that Rossi handled his business behind the scenes prior to, to you know, um, buying out the company, right? Um, well,
0: I, I am of the opinion that Rossi is still in charge and has a bigger stick to swing with right now. That I if, hope, if, he, if wrong. He, That if he tells Bushy Road that this is the person to go get, they're going to go get what they want.
1: Oh sure, I'm sure he probably has something to do with the talent side. I think that's fair.
0: And I'm not um, saying Vince was wrong for doing this in the '80s. I'm not saying they're wrong for doing it. I'm just worried for everybody else that this could become, you know, the 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 one one shop open for for Joshi wrestling for a lot of fans.
1: I think if Mayu and Suzu head over there from Ice Ribbon, um, at, at people of that caliber, you know, I, I would I would think I would agree with you, Julia. Man, that one kind of came out of left field, you know. Um, that she really was the next star coming up in Ice Ribbon for sure. Um, you can make the case for her because she does have star power. If if they start poaching some of this top talent from these other, you know, um, um, Joshi promotions out there, maybe, yeah. Then then I then again, it, like your argument, where I think it's a weak argument right now. Mm. I think is one that over time. It can just be solidified, you know what I mean? Like I think see, it's one that can gain traction the deeper into this we go.
0: See, here I'm an old man, so I was around like in the '80s and saw right. this this stuff happening, and I, and I and I just see the same the same thing happening again. That's that's where my perspective is coming from. It's sure, you know, I grew up in the '80s. I watched you know, Georgia championship wrestling. And I watched all that kind of good stuff. I watched AWA. I watched all that kind of good stuff. And I said, Oh, they did this. Huh? That sounds familiar. They did this. That sounds familiar. That's where my worry is that, you know, because I love Joshi, I want more than one Joshi promotion to, to survive and, and be successful that I'm just a little, little worried right now.
1: Yeah. I think that's okay. I think it's okay to be worried. And look, I'm not going to, I'll be honest with you. I, some of these Joshi promotions are going to last. Nope. You know, it's coming out of this. And, yeah. And a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but some of them might not have lasted in 2020 as it is. You yeah. know, there's already rumors with Marvelous and uh, talking to Stardom, and then a Rohawk coming over or really coming back mm-hmm, to Stardom. That that there was, you know, wh- why right? And it's not like them to do these, you know, um, these these collaborative shows. But you know, we they were in a pinch because Sadie ended up signing with WWE, and they were able to reach out to Marvelous and get a deal done. But uh, with a rohawk coming over but you know you can make the case that you know if if marvelous folds and a rohawk comes over you know and then you can get in ice ribbons ear although i think that would be a stretch but if you could and you pull it and you pick off that ain't your, happening right yeah right well no it ain't um <laughs> but like if for whatever reason like same type of thing you know where you pop off like a suzu you know and now you don't have anybody from maya like okay well again it can only Add to your argument over time if they keep picking up talent. I'll also tell you, and then it's crazy to say because it's competition, and so you always want to get the best wrestlers that you can, but I like the rosters right now of stardom. I think they have the depth. Like, it's hard. We were talking about this, me and Jay on NPA. Like, well, who do you bring in on a freelance level to kind of get the traction back up and running? Like, who do you bring in um, to kind of help fill out the undercard you know with the people on tour and I, I'm looking at the rosters and I'm like I don't think you really need to. And there's so many people now um that are wrestling for stardom. Um I think there's like 27 on the main or something like that. It, you don't need to bring in like the Layla hirsch's anymore or the the Bobby Tylers. Like they're going to obviously. Um you know, but you know, you look at it and you say like I, I need Azumi I need to kind of take that next step. I need SLK to finally move her way up and graduate to the, the main event roster. We, what are they going to be doing with Saya Kamatani? What are they doing with Saya Aida right now? You know, And how are they going to form and continue to build these stars and the interest behind these wrestlers the way that they were so successful doing in the last 18 months leading up to 2020? You have a new crop and you have a lot of these little younger wrestlers that you need to start getting up and running. What the hell are you going to do with Izuki? You know what I mean? Like, Hoshino has nothing going for her at all, except that she's won, like, a match. And so, what, what does her progression look like? And you have all these, like, little, you know, little ways to fortify some of the back ends of these factions. Why bring people in, you know? Now, we know the answer. It's because you want to kill everybody else and you want to own more of the market share, obviously.
0: Yeah. Why can't Ricochet get on TV? Why can't Apollo <laughs> Cruz get on TV? <laughs> True.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm not saying like you need to do I don't I mean Kensaki <laughs> just got to the mid card for God's sakes. I'm not looking for these <laughs> these women to move up that much, but you know, a little personality and, and getting Kamatani and and gear that looks like she's part of Queen's <laughs> Quest would be nice.
0: <laughs> All right, JPQ, I appreciate your time. Tell us again where we can find you on social media.
1: Yeah, so I'm at Big Paws on a Pup on Twitter as well as at NPA Podcast uh, every Wednesday, no particular angle, uh, on any podcast, um, you know, um, the service that you listen to. Where'd Big, Big Paws on a Pup come from? So, if you, were, you ever watched The Wire? No.
0: What? Dude, we, we could have a whole conversation about stuff I've not watched.
1: Okay, well, if you ever get in the mood to watch the best television show of all time, and I'm not even, like, saying that, like, that's a legitimate thing, um... In the wire there's a, <laughs> there's a guy named Bodie and Bodie's uh, you know he's a he's a corner guy and he gets propositioned by two other dealers or the the heavy of of a, of Marlin's gang and Eddie pretty much shrugs them off and as they're walking away, they call him big paws on a pup hmm. and I took that I took that name from there so that's where that comes from
0: nice 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 well again brother, I appreciate you so much uh, thank you so much for being on the Joshi pod and everybody follow him on Twitter uh listen to his podcast he's so good about uh talking about not just Stardom, i talking about all wrestling and uh yeah give him a follow give him a listen and uh he's one of the good guys out there so let's
1: support him appreciate it man and if hey listen to the joshi pod i love this i love this podcast thank you brother